so thanks everyone for joining us. So we're going to kick off in a little bit. Those of you who are joining new for the first time, this is a weekly show hosted by GrowSF, a community of citizens building a more inclusive and livable San Francisco, uh, focusing on educating people on local issues and increasing civic engagement and publishing election voter guides. Um, every week we host elected officials, civil servants, and community members from different perspectives to discuss problems facing our city. And today we'll be discussing the topic of San Francisco's COVID response over the last year. As everyone's been aware, it's certainly been a very unprecedented year for all of us from COVID to shelter in place to vaccines. Um, in San Francisco, though, we've been fortunate to have one of the lowest infection rates, which I believe is about 4%, and one of the highest vaccine distribution rates above 70% of all eligible adults, um, uh, the highest of both those metrics in any major city in the United States. Uh, what most people don't know is that the department responsible for this amazing response and result is the Department of Emergency Management, which is led by Mary Ellen Carroll, who's on the call today. Um, Mary Ellen is the uh, executive director of the uh, Department of Emergency Management. She was appointed by Mayor Breed in 2018, and she has been working uh, for the city of San Francisco for the last 17 years. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's great to be here. Um, so diving right into it, let's let's uh, let's actually wind the clock back a year. Um, it's day zero of shelter in place. Uh, we've all just gotten this this text message that's told us that we need to stay indoors. Obviously, uh, an unprecedented circumstance. But walk us through that day for you. Um, what happened that morning, or even the days leading up to it? Who was involved? What were the decisions made? Um, let's start from there. Yeah. Thank you. Well, first of all, um, I can't um, at all take total credit for this response. The Department of Public Health and all the public health you know, leaders have played an, you know, huge role in all of this and, um, and, and many other city folks, which I think we'll get into, but, um, you know, in the, in the days leaving, leading up, there was, there was so much drama leading up to that. I had a, um, on March 10th, I was going through, like I said, I have taken a lot of notes and written a lot of things down. But on March 10th is when Dr. Colfax, who's, you know, the director of public health called me. And I have this like in bold and highlighted in my notebook. So it must, I, I know it was like a very significant conversation. I do remember. Um, and he's like, you know, we're officially in earthquake mode. And that term was used a number of times. Um, and, you know, really based on uh, what we were seeing in other parts of the country and um, based on the really smart people who who were um, collecting a lot of intel from all over the world, really. Um, as you know, there wasn't a lot of uh, information being provided or leadership really at the at the federal level. And so really in San Francisco, through um, our local public health leaders, UCSF, folks were, were out and trying to get as much information as they could from the field. So I would describe it as very, very tense. And I was in the room when Dr. Colfax was um, talking to 
other city department leaders. Um, I can't remember if the mayor, I don't think she was in these particular conversations. She was already well aware of everything going on, but kind of getting the rest of our colleagues ready to explain to them what was about to go down and the need to, um, to really um, kind of stop everything. And um, it was, people were really upset. I mean, people were, there was almost like a panic in the air, I guess, as you can imagine, and really understandably so. And immediately a lot of discussion about the negative consequences of a shelter in place. Um, just thinking through, okay, if a restaurant cook, cause at this point we were, you know, at this point, it's funny when I think about it, like it made me laugh when I was looking at my notes today, we were in two week increments. We're like, well, you know, we're going to do this for two weeks. We need disaster service workers. Those are other city employees to come help us for two weeks. And, um, you know, we are at, uh, well over 60 weeks, right? I don't even know what week it is at this point, but um, we haven't stopped. So um, a lot of concern, a lot of panic, I would even say like some anger, you know, like you can't do this, you don't understand what the consequences are, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I would say it was one of the most stressful like hour and a half of my of my life to date, having that conversation with everyone. Who, who makes the, who made the final decision there? And like, was that was there a critical piece of information that did go down to the mayor? Was it a critical piece of information that swayed her opinion or how, yeah. how did that go down? I mean, ultimately, as you know, the the health officer has a lot of powers with, within the county. Um, but, you know, the mayor is the one that, that it's, it's ultimately her decision. And, well, wh what I should say is ultimately it's on her. Because there are some decisions potentially that the, the the health director can and will make, but the success and how that I think I think Mayor Breed's leadership and and the and what is her success and I I think we will all look I think history will look back on on this moment is how she handled that. Because to go against her health officer has its consequences. And I think that she decided to trust the experts and follow, as we say, we call it Grant's greatest hits, you know, date, the, the science, data, and facts. You know, that was our mantra. And, um, and we did. And I think ultimately it was the right thing to do. Hi, Mary. This is Joel. I have a question. When... Cities around the country were all seeing the same news. I would imagine the same data at the same time. And yet San Francisco shut down before New York City. Do, do you have a sense as to why we were reading the data differently than New York or other cities? Well, you know, I, I think there's a lot of reasons that that, that um, happened. And I'm not the please don't take my word as like, this is it. This is, this is not science uh, and data necessarily, but, but, the, but it is fact. And, and I, as I think about it, um, I think a lot of it has to do like with our history with HIV. And I think that was a component of it. We have some of the leaders in the world on infectious disease in the Bay area and in San Francisco. And, you know, they were not wrong 
<laughs> they were hella right, right? And so I, you know, in retrospect, it may have seemed extreme or super conservative, but ultimately I think that they knew um, what they were seeing and and felt, and they did the right, the thing that they felt was their job to do, which is to save lives ultimately. I actually spoke to my colleagues, couple colleagues in New York on this. I, I reached out to say like, hey, are you guys talking about this at all? And I spoke to one colleague there and I think she said, yeah, we're, we're actually going in or we were texting or something. And she said, we're gonna be, we're going in with the mayor this afternoon or something. And then I, I remember like I didn't hear from her and I didn't think about it for days or maybe weeks until or, you know, after. And I realized like, wow, they didn't, they made a different decision. And, you know, as we know, New York went through a very different experience than we did. Um, and, you know, New York, New York's a much different city and there's all kinds of reasons um, and, and, and risks uh, that New York has, a subway system, a lot of different things that we don't have, right? But our density is, it, I think we're as dense sort of per capita or per mile as New York is. And that is something that, you know, that's something you have to remember too, that while San Francisco is very small, we're an extremely dense city. And so our, the outcomes that we have had are really incredible. Do you remember that last Warriors game? Somehow I'm recalling that there was one last game that happened with a big crowd and people were like scratching their heads saying, that's not so kosher. But do you remember that or what went down with that? I don't remember that, but I do. Well, I do remember, you know, that we, we were, um, the last, <laughs> the last time I took time, time off was in February of 20, uh, 20, I guess, 2020. Um, before all this went down and, or, you know, before it really started going down, I went to Hawaii for a week and I wasn't going to go, I wasn't going to go until the last second. And then things sort of like chilled out a little bit. And, um, you know, we had, I timed this vacation before COVID even to be after the Super Bowl, after any potential Super Bowl celebration and Chinese New Year. So, um, one thing I do think about is, thank goodness we didn't win the Super Bowl. Sorry, 49ers fans. I was rooting for them. but <laughs> So, um, yeah, there's a lot of things like that that you look back and it's like feels kind of scary, right? You know, mm -hmm. why did we do that? Or we weren't wearing masks. You know, I have a note in my actually on the 17th, I was actually in the Board of Supervisors um, hearing at City Hall last time I was there, actually. So um, it was a, it wasn't a, it felt like it was all of a sudden, but there were things that came after, right? Masks came after and that sort of thing, so. Thanks, yeah, that's, um, I remember I uh, had a trip to Disneyland planned uh, and then had to cancel that. Um, and that was kind of unfortunate. The, um, uh, but yeah, we're hoping to go back to there soon. Uh, so Mary, so after, uh, after that decision was made, Maybe walk us through uh, like the decisions made. How do you shut down a city um, operationally? Like, uh, who are the maybe talking through who's involved, who are staffed in your department? What has to happen step by step to um, make this uh, operationally effective? Right, and that's why I say you know this was every this was all hands on deck. So 
um, big players in this, of course, are the health officer, who at the time was Dr. Tomas Aragon, the city attorney staff, uh, the city attorney team, because they have to work with health to write the health orders. Um, and then it's almost all departments, essentially, who have to participate in how, you know, how this goes down. So um, the Entertainment Commission, the Office of um, OEWD, um, Economic and Work Workforce Development, um, there's a huge communication component to this. We have what we call in our world um, the Joint Information Center, and that is the single point of entry and exit for information. And so we had to ramp up huge, just so you know, like the Joint Information Center usually lives with the Department of Emergency Management. I have exactly four people who actually do this work. Um, we ramped up to 60, over 60 people doing the work. So, um, so from four to 60. Yes. <laughs> where did, where did you hire so many people we, in such we, a short period of time? Yeah, we didn't really hire people. And I mean, I think that's the amazing, some people we did hire. That isn't true. We did, we did, ha we have done some, some temp hires throughout the response, but primarily the majority of our response has been city workers. So we pulled like, even as now, as we speak, Kate Patterson is the, is the acting uh, comms director for health because their their communication um, director left sort of in the middle of all this. And she's normally at the library. We had people from the airport. Wow. Okay. So, so yeah, so it's like this, the city came together. We call them disaster service workers. It's actually part of the city charter. When you become a city worker and you get hired, you sign an oath that says in the case of emergency, I will, and I am called, I will respond and do whatever job is needed within my skill set. Hi, this is Sachin. Thanks for listening to the Grow SF Town Hall. We started Grow SF because we love San Francisco, and we think we can make it even better if residents learn more about how our city is run and get involved. You can learn more about Grow SF at growsf.org. Maybe talk through like there's these 60 people on your team. Mm -hmm. What, how would you divide up their responsibilities? And then, second, how did you turn a librarian into a disaster response right. um, a worker? And just to say, 60, so we, we have the entire COVID command center is about, it has varied over time, but the average has been between about 1,200 people. 60 people is just in the comms unit. So, um, got it. Our, but but to give you another sense of scope, my the entire division of emergency services for my department that does this is like thirty people, so from thirty to like twelve hundred, like that <laughs> that is the scope of what this was. Bigger probably than any earthquake would have been. Got it. Yeah. So maybe then, yeah, the yeah. bigger picture. Walk us through each organizational department and what the responsibilities are of the twelve hundred people. So there's many. Um, so what normally how the city responds is we, and this is probably like kind of boring, so I'll go through it quickly. Well, I'll just talk about where we are. So normally we have one city emergency operations center that normally uh, activates out of Turk Street, which is where the 911 center is. 
Um, and then the different departments have their own emergency operations centers. But because of the nature of an infectious disease in which everyone else is told to stay home for your life, right? But the rest of us had to come in. We needed a lot more space in order for it to be a safe working environment. And that is why we ended up at Moscone because um, it's like a hundred times bigger than Turk Street. So, and, and I just want to say we had zero outbreaks or anyone get sick um, from COVID at Moscone in the last 15 months. People have contracted the disease outside in other ways, but um, we were uh, we were super lucky in that way. So everything from the, the major units, I mean, it would take me an hour to tell you everything, but the, the, we had um, essentially, we were organized in, under medical operations and that under that was the testing unit, um, outbreak management, so contact tracing and information, um, and eventually vaccine. We also had surge planning, so all of the how, all the planning that goes into um, ramping up to in order to serve the medical surge that happens in the hospitals. We had a massive operation under human services. So we had all of our feeding, which by the way, we have fed millions. We have done millions of meals and um, bags of grocery, I'm sorry, not millions, almost 2 million. So over a million meals. Um, and then, um, and then of course the, the shelter in place hotels, which most people are familiar with, we had INQ hotels, safe sleep sites. Um, we we put a, sh a homeless shelter in Moscone West. And then you need logistics to handle all of this. So purchasing all of the stuff that you need, cars to take folks around. And then I said the JIC, the JIC which is the Joint Information Center. We have a whole outreach um, operation where people went out, you know, where you see all these posters everywhere. Those were librarians, accountants, analysts, you know, um, bus drivers in some cases going out into the neighborhoods to distribute those. It was it was literal pe people power to do all of that. And I'm sure I'm missing some things, but those are like the, those are the, the big parts of it. So this is Joel. So the city has about 40,000 employees. How do you pick among that number, the 1,200? Do you get the pick of the litter? Do you, do you figure out, well, librarian's better at X than Y, so let's, let's pick that, or is it just random? Yeah. Oh, and we also, we also have an incredible schools team, Joel, that I'm sure you would be interested in that have, have done everything within their power um, to support the school district and, as you know, has been a really frustrating um, job for them. Uh, we, so in the beginning, so I've worked for the city for 17 years. I've worked in four different departments. I have my Rolodex in my head. Like I know who can do what. A lot of this was project management. Um, we had, oh, the other area is just like the data. So data collection, data crunching, and then those beautiful dashboards that you see at sf.gov all city people. So, um, you know, we called, we just called in the, we called in our A team, right? Everybody we know. Um, I pulled a few people out of retirement that I knew or who had left the city and I knew were stuck at home. And I was like, 
how about you come back and do this? Um, and then we just trained people. Um, you know, we figured it out. Some some folks like had an interest. It's funny, we have somebody who works in homeless services. He was teaching a course at SF State, had a few people from the city in his class. So we called them in. Um, and, and then in part, we left it up to the departments. You know, we would just give a classification, a job classification or a description of the work. And we would say, we need three of these or 10 of those or whatever it is. Um, and in they would come and, you know, um, it worked, I mean, it worked incredibly well, but it was very, very difficult. This, this program, this disaster service worker program was not, was never developed for such a sustained and gigantic response. You know, this was supposed to be, we have an earthquake and you need someone to, to stand in the water line and hand out food or maybe work in a shelter. Um, you know, we had people who were not ever worked in service, were site managers at shelter in place hotels that were housing, you know, between 30 to, in, in our biggest hotel, had hundreds of hardcore, very vulnerable people who had been experiencing homelessness for years who were coming inside for the first time. I mean, it was intense. <laughs> intense work, but people really stepped up. And I'll, and I'll just say this, like so many people's lives are changed by this on the, on the city side. We have city workers who, you know, have changed what they want to do with their lives based on this experience. Um, we have a lot of people who are very happy to go back to their jobs and a lot of people who are conflicted about going back to their jobs because they found, you know, they found a purpose and a reward in this work that was um, like nothing they experienced before. And of course, for the public health staff, they, I've never met a more dedicated group of folks, but you know, this is their, for us, emergency management and public health, like this is our, this is like the Super Bowl of all Super Bowls, right? Of the work you're doing, we're doing. Is it fair to say that your Rolodex saved the city? Because I think about it, you said 17 years of experience in the city, you know who the good people are, you even knew who to pull out of retirement to help. I mean, God forbid that the people who do the central subway or the Van Ness BRT were running things like, I mean, well, is, I, is it a miracle well, I, that, that I, you were there to, to pull the right people to, to, to make this a success? It wasn't just me. Okay. So I think there was, you know, a core team of us that were able to pull folks in. Um, it also was, I mean, but, but I will say like that, that certainly is so important, right? Um, think about Dr. Colfax, you know, he worked here. He, he, he was here during um, the 80s and the AIDS crisis. And so he knows every who worked under the Obama administration. Um, so we pulled in folks that, that we knew. It is all, I mean, the city, as you know, or if you, if you don't know, is all about relationships. I don't know. I think life is all about relationships, really. But yes, it was incredibly important for us to come together. And silver lining, we are ready for anything. At this, I mean, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, um, shouldn't taunt the gods like that. But it is true, in that you know the relationships we have, the trust that we've built, the experience that we have collectively in this city, is unbelievable. Um, and I hope that we don't ever have to use it. That we can all, after this, like try to enjoy our lives as much as possible and not have to pull this out for a catastrophic earthquake. But if we had to. 
Um, I can't, it's hard for me to describe the difference of the before and after of our level of preparedness in the city. And the final thing I'll say is that I think it doesn't, it, we don't even need a disaster. I am hopeful and I feel very strongly that all of the things, like you're saying, you know, the central freeway or all that kind of stuff, like everything that we tackle now, I think we're going to do a better job of it. And I hope that we're, you know, we're, we're allowed to, to, to draw on this experience, you know, and bring people in because man, this was the ultimate challenge. Well, what blows my mind is that just before the pandemic hit, you had federal indictments, city attorney investigations on department heads of the city. And since the pandemic was ongoing, more federal indictments and arrests and, and city attorney investigations of, of corruption and scandal at city hall. And yet, and yet, the most success, this, this, the way we've managed pandemic was so successful and it went against everything that people think about City Hall when you look at the debacle of the central subway and everything else, right? So, so again, it's like, it feels like we dodged a bullet or it was a miracle or thank God, Mary and Dr. Colfax and others were there to, uh, to lead us in this moment on this issue. Yeah, it was very hard. And, you know, let me tell you, like, that was, that it remains a stress. Um, these are people I've worked with my entire career. And I don't, I'm not going to get into it in this one, in this conversation, but I can just tell you that it was very, very hard. And it just, you know, it just, but the, but here's the other thing, like there, there was no wallowing in that. There was no getting distracted by that. We had to move forward. There was just, th that was it. And so in some ways, maybe it was easier, right? Um, for me, because there was just not no thinking about it. It was just, you move forward. And, um, and also, like I said, it, it, it brought people up and, and it showed who the true heroes and the, the real like people who get things done are here. So Harvey Milk said, you gotta give them hope. You, you gave us some hope. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> so Maryland, so tactically, um, so it sounds like from a, we were, San Francisco is uh, attunedly prepared given its experience, like you mentioned, with infectious disease in the past and the the wealth of experience in project management across the across the city. Um, what are maybe two tactical things that you feel had the most outsized impact in controlling infection rates mm -hmm. um, that you that your your team did, uh, especially maybe to curb the the surge that happened in the fall? were two or three things that, that really helped control um, the infection rates relative to other cities? Yeah. Well, I do think that our early action was one thing. We were able to get ahead of it. We were able to, um, on that first surge, w was fairly insignificant, right, Com comparatively. And, and we got ahead with that. The second thing is tied to what we didn't do well in the beginning, but ultimately did better. And that is serving the most vulnerable populations and communities in our city and getting our, you know, like learning from our mistakes. And the interesting thing about this, this thing that's still going is that it is so enduring, you have very clear lessons learned. For us in particular, it was around testing versus 
how we did testing versus how we did vaccine, which are two different operations, but they're similarities, right? The testing, you know, we did not, we, we stumbled, especially when it came to communities of color and folks accessibility for, for those communities, for, for the folks that were most impacted, were hit, you know, with the highest prevalence of the disease. And we were not going to make that same mistake with vaccine. And so we came out charging with that as our number one kind of objective with vaccine is that we would be in community, we would be with community, we would listen and part, we would listen to and partner with, um, and that we would make sure that the resources were equitably, not equally, but equitably distributed and operationalized for vaccine. Can you talk about that a little bit more? So you're saying that in- Yeah, go ahead. Was the, the equity was difficult in the testing regime because there was less partnerships with local community groups or just it wasn't thought to go into those communities to do it in the most vulnerable first? And like, what does that actually mean to do it equ equitably? So I think that, and I, you know, I'm not, I don't want to speak in, I, I feel like my, I, I'm one voice of this and, and I, I can't speak 100% for public health, but at least from the operation, which I am responsible for, that the execution of the operation. You know, we had our two biggest testing sites, you know, within less than a mile of each other on the in the Embarcadero, not where you saw the disease. Um, oh, okay, got it. With barriers to the testing that were not, you know, very kind of institutional. Most of, you know, most people, um, of a certain sort of, you know, the majority of people thought it was so elegant. I did, I was like, what a beautiful operation. So easy to sign up, you know, you come and drive your car in or bike or walk, it was easy peasy, right? But for a lot of people, it was very intimidating. It wasn't in the right place. Um, there was a lot of anxiety around testing. What did it all mean? Um, we learned later than, was helpful from community about, you know, it's maybe not that we didn't know, but didn't have the focus as much, you know, me missing work for two weeks is way different than someone say, who's undocumented, who's paid under the table, who's feeding, you know, their family, multi-generational members of their family. Like that's just one example. So you kind of have to like, you, you, you have to understand and that and that person represents the communities that were most impacted who by the way were the essential workers that were working in our grocery stores um in our you know big bot in the stores that were allowed to be open making sure we could get what we needed cooking our food um working in the hospital doing the cleaning like all of the essential stuff right that um that we all needed and benefited from. Um, and so, you know, I think that we all felt like initially we, we didn't, we didn't serve them and, and do the best by them that we could. And so, um, and we had a lot of really difficult conversations. I certainly, you know, had to, had to sit there and hear like, in spite of our overall and apparent success, you know, from the, from a large perspective, to hear from communities how community were impacted in that way was, you know, was 
but it was it was very difficult and it's changed for me how i will always look at how we do this work and frankly like how i look at the world to be honest um and to really understand that i don't you know like uh, you know emergency management like getting it done getting it done right but when you do that you can you can hurt people and that's i don't think that's how San Francisco wants to do things. So we've done a much better job. If you look at our data and our dashboards and, and how um, those communities are Black and African American community, our Latino, Latinx community, um, API, like it's, it, it's a very different picture for vaccine than it is testing. That's fair. So it's interesting because like you described how uh, so in start, I come from startup product development land where you uh, you iterate, you launch early, you iterate, and then you improve. Um, but also, you often find after a launch, th the number one or two problems are usually accessibility and distribution. You have to meet people where they are rather than expect them to come to you. Um, and it f sounds like you learned and did all those lessons in a government context, which we don't normally appreciate. Um, what uh, would you say that, that that makes sense in your context as well? And then, yeah. like, oh, but what we allows... got dragged there by community, and I'm grateful for it, you know. Mm. Um, and yeah, they they they, in many ways, showed us the way. That's great. So moving forward to then to vaccine distribution, you mentioned how it's different than testing in the early phases, and our distribution has also been lauded as kind of like one of the most, um, obviously we have one of the largest um, vaccination rates of the eligible adults in here. Do you feel the ability to do so was based on the lessons that you learned from the testing that you just mentioned around meeting people where they're at, or were there one or two other things that made the distribution highly effective? Yeah, I, I think it's that for sure. So what we knew is that we also couldn't like it's not one or the other, right? So the you can you can overcorrect, right? And decide like, okay, we're only gonna focus on these. No, it was really important for everyone with vaccine that everybody has access to the vaccine as quickly as possible. And and just as important that we can like it was so important that we had the ability to do mass volume sites at the same time we were doing the more um in community uh, sort of um, clinic type partnership types with with uh, our partners, we had to do both, and so um, so at this point we kind of did a little more d divide and conquer. So so my team was challenged with the mass volume sites, and um, you know and we. I'm super proud of how it went. Obviously, you know, I don't know what the percentage is today. I think we're, at we're I know we're at least at 72% um, vaccinated and um, at least first dose or maybe second dose too. And so we were really successful in that. We got um, the City College site, uh, the the market site, and then of, of course Moscone. And that also got also, of course, was done with all with healthcare partners, different partners at each of those sites. Um, we we get a lot, a lot of sunshine and love for Moscone, but I got to give it, you know, that really Kaiser um, 
is the lead on that site and they've done just an, a, a fabulous job. UCSF at CCSF and Sutter at Market at SF Market. Um, in addition, the, the Department of Public Health has done an incredible job out of um, ZSFGH. Um, really that's been another high volume site that people aren't really aware of and really focused toward the most vulnerable and folks within our health network. And then the health department, the folks that, that work in community, we have a whole equity and neighborhoods group, work really closely with the Human, Re uh, Human Rights Commission and our Office of Ra Racial Equity and all of our community partners, they focused on the community operations, where they should be, where the partner should be, how to do it, um, what the messaging is, because it's, it's different, right? Because there's a lot of hesitancy in those groups. And that continues to be a big focus of ours. Hi. Thanks for listening to the Grow SF Town Hall. Now more than ever, we need to support our small businesses. They have struggled to stay alive through the pandemic and need our help to get back to 100%. So please shop local, eat local, and if you can, tip big. One great thing that happened during the pandemic was outdoor dining. It allowed many restaurants to operate in a limited capacity. We don't want outdoor dining to go away. Grow SF is making a big push to make outdoor dining permanent. Please visit growsf.org to sign our petition and to learn more. Um, so this was super informative in terms of uh, like the response, the learnings you did, iterated on it, um, effectively operating like a startup CEO and what we call like wartime uh, uh, startup development. Um, what were the what were we one or two of the most difficult days over the last year, and uh, what were those days, and how did you navigate them? Oh gosh, there's been there's been a <laughs> surely a lot, yeah. I think that. I think one of the hardest things is just the exhaustion. Um, I've, I know there are many of us that probably f for six months, like didn't have a day off and we were working around the clock and not just like, you know, not just the hours, but the intensity and the nature of this thing um, that nothing we ever saw before right? No, no, nothing that you could necessarily predict. Um, you know, the, 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 this issue of, of how, you know, our most vulnerable were affected is very hard. You know, I have notes where I'm just like, in my, I've taken, mostly I'm like, you know, right, have written about what happened and decisions, but then I, you know, I will take a moment and just feel like I feel horrible today. <laughs> like, this is so hard. I don't know if I can do this. Um, and, you know, just, just frustration of, um, you know, I can tell you, Everyone is, was frustrated about, you know, the school situation because we feel for, you know, we, we really saw the impact of that, right, on everyone, including, so my kids are 20 and 22, so thank God. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I have many staff who are, who are, you know, trying to do deal with their kids and the impact on their children and impact on them. So I think it's just like the impact of everything around us. But the other side of that coin, the other side of that stress is the, is like the pride that you feel. And I mean, the emotion, when I felt like I couldn't go anymore, I just like visualize Moscone Center 
and people's faces there and how what friggin' heroes they are and what they would do go to the end of the earth like what they've sacrificed to do for this city and i just shut up in my head and just went to work you know um so as hard as it is it's been the most rewarding work i could ever possibly imagine and um so you know i'm humbled to have found myself in this place um, at this time, but I'm so grateful. And, and I also feel proud, you know, I feel very, I've said before, like, I feel very confident. I found a confidence in myself. I drew on what I knew to be true about not only myself, but my team and the city and, and didn't hesitate. You know, it was, it's, it's very interesting. It's something that I still don't totally understand, to be honest with you, and, and will be interesting in, in reflection whenever that comes, reflection time. This is Joel. Uh, can you tell us about the music playlist at Moscone? <laughs> I, I understand that it was a, a wonderful playlist that, that visitors coming in to get their vaccination was very joyous, very in, inspiring. But then, you know, after a couple of days, the people working there, you were hearing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, so that that's downstairs at the um, vac site. So we don't hear that upstairs. Um, but I know that they've, um, we were just talking to them the other day, like they've added to it. There's, there's apparently a, um, a playlist that you can find um, on Spotify for it. Um, Upstairs where we are, we ha only have music in the bathrooms. So if you've ever been at Moscone, you know, they have this like crazy music in the bathroom and it's still there. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I tried different things to, to do upstairs. Like to, I wanted to do like disco breaks in the afternoon, just like have some music up on the balcony, but like we could never do it. We're too damn busy. <laughs> you just, we were just too busy. There, there wasn't, yeah, what about, you what, got your money's worth. Let me tell you, from the city in the last year. But what was the snacks? The, was there a snack situation? Like, did you at least have some comfort snacks, like well, some Oreos? Like, what was going on with the snack situation? Yeah, there's a lot of snacks up there. Um, but in the beginning, we were feeding people because during shelter in place, there was nothing, nothing open, right? So, and that's all. That was all FEMA re reimbursable. You're still getting your money's worth. Um, FEMA will pay for that stuff. But then eventually, um, I think it was like when we went from, so that was like March. Uh, it's, you know, it feels like, I know we're like, we're in years now, so I get my dates get kind of confused, but for the first six months or several months, we were feeding people and then we cut that. Once things started opening up a little bit and restaurants were like, yeah, we're not gonna feed people anymore. Um, but there's a lot of great camaraderie up there. And um, I hear there may be, you know, I'm not allowed to sanction this, nor do I participate um, as the boss, but I wouldn't be surprised if there were some, you know, unofficial happy hours going on at the end of the day. <laughs> I, th I thought you were about to say there might be some COVID babies coming. <laughs> oh, God. Um, wow. <laughs> no, not that I, again, too busy, too busy. <laughs> too I'm actually curious. Busy to get busy. Uh, I'm curious a little bit on that point. You mentioned how like there's this persistent stress and anxiety over the year. And for you, the relief, the relief was often like positive visualization of reminding yourself of the accomplishments that, of, of your team and all the impact they've made. How do you motivate a team 
um, it's one thing as a leader, how you manage your stress, but how do you inspire, motivate your team that's not taking these vacations yeah. to manage the stress over six months of, of no vacation? Well, we make people take vacation. We make people take time off. Um, we've rotated. We've gone more virtual. In the, in the beginning, we were there all the time. So, you know, we've moved to having people only be there like two or three days a week, but telecommute. Um but what I do is, so we, we, up until very recently, we had these weekly all staff where we would have everybody, um, in the beginning we were all together in a room, but then later it became virtual, like a Teams or Zoom meeting with hundreds of people from the response on Friday. And we would do all these updates about what was going on. And I usually would do remarks and I always, I talk about it. Like I, I'm very, very open about my stress and how I deal with it, <laughs> how it feels to me. Um, you know, I've told people I have a therapist, like the 500 people, you know, because I do and it's okay. And we, we, this is so fucking hard, you know? And so I just try to be as real as I can so that folks feel like, you know, they're not alone. And we have a lot of support from our health services. We have a whole wellness room there, you know, we have, um, We've upped our access to mental health services. We talk about it all the time. So, you know, like I said, just going back, like this is nothing we've ever, ever experienced before. And, you know, we're all going through this and it's very intense, but this is a global pandemic. No one has escaped this. Everyone has experienced loss. And there is a level of trauma on our planet right now. <laughs> That ha that affects everything, and so there's no not there's no like being like toughing this out. Dur during the during the worst of it last year, when you're you know you're stretched to the max, you know the pandemic. There's no vaccine. The pandemic is peaking. In the back of your your mind, did you ever wonder, oh my God, what if the earthquake comes? Because the oh. earthquake can come any. You've been planning for the earthquake for years. That's coming, right? Oh, yeah. it, coming. Any moment, Did, was there a plan if the earthquake hit while we're in the pandemic? Oh yeah, we talked about it. I mean, we just, the good news is like, I, I was like, this is easy because we're all here, you know, but we did have to talk about protocols, you know, um, and we, and we did with fire and police and our, you know, all of our normal partners. And the fact is it's always life safety. So um, there was no question that if we had a catastrophic earthquake like that, that we would, we would go to what is the, you know, the biggest threat to a person's life and we wouldn't worry about COVID. So thankfully we didn't have to deal with it, but we did have to deal with orange skies and extreme heat and air quality. And we're actually gearing up for that again, right now that everything is kind of feeling as rosy as it's been. We're really making sure people, um, take time off. Because for us, our hurricane season is like, you know, gets earlier every year, but it's it's fire season. So we're getting ready for that again. Yeah, I was about to ask what's what's next, uh, keeping you, as we're at the cusp of this, sounds like, is the city going to transition to, it sounds like you're planning for regular fire seasons as part of the charter of your emergency department going forward? Oh, yeah. I mean, and not only fires, but you know, f before COVID, if you were interviewing me, I would be talking about, you know, climate adaptation management because um, 
or clim climate management adaptation. I'm not sure which order the words go in that one, but basically dealing with the consequences of what we're seeing, and fires are one of those things. But you know, it could be a, it could be a thousand year flood in San Francisco next winter. It could be something that we can't imagine. Did we think that we were going to have these like lightning storms and then this crazy day that the sun didn't come out? No. Um, civil unrest is another thing that obviously is like in our Rolodex kind of thing, in our playbook, but it wasn't necessarily something we were thinking in the middle of all of this. And How that do you do brainstorming planning for counterfactuals like that don't exist? <laughs> well, um, like, or that you don't know about, yeah. We do all, you know, all of our planning is what we call all hazard planning. So obviously, you know, the, the feds make us identify what are our biggest risks and we have to come up with our hazard plan and how we're going to mitigate all that. So we, you know, there's a whole huge process that goes on, but ultimately, you know, we, we took our, we took our plans and our exercises and things that we've used for exercising um, earthquakes, but also the last few years, our work with um, our work around heat and air quality with the health department really helped us with this because we we've been working really closely with health for for a while and every year in actual responses. I mean, obviously, this was like magnitude so much bigger, but um, those things help us prepare. And I have a space in my brain for that which I cannot even imagine, and it's always there. And I do not know what it is, but I almost can guarantee you we're probably going to see something like that in the next year. And I hope it's on the small side. <laughs> but I just assume yeah, it's, it'll happen. <laughs> that's fair. I think there's um, in Stoicism and, and Zen Buddhism, there's like the the tactic of negative visualization, which is you imagine the worst possible scenario. Um, and so when it happens, you're both prepared as well as not, um, surprised. Yes. Um, it helps manage stress. Apparently. So it sounds like that's your job every day. Yeah. And by the way, I have a very, um, rigorous meditation practice, <laughs> which I think is, you know, what keeps me from completely losing my mind because I try to disconnect from my mind as much as I can every day. Not, so, I mean, not during the day, but you know what I mean. <laughs> during the my practice, my practice helps me to, to, for those of you, and it sounds like you know, and that builds a resilience and that helps you when you have to, when you have to get back, you know, and reconnect. So is there an app of choice that you use or are you just kind of doing it personally? Yeah, I no, I don't, I don't necessarily use an app. I have a couple of teachers that I follow and work with. Um, and I have, yeah, kind of have my own. I actually, believe it or not, um, did a 10-week teach a meditation teacher course with my teacher during this past year. I did that recently. It was like a, a Sunday afternoon. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I've, I've really, that has been super important to kind of get me through this. Because I, you know, I have a family, I have kids, like I, I actually want to be a whole person when I get to the other side of this. And I want everybody who's done the work to be that. And so I, you know, I have a lot of focus on not only getting the work done, but really doing whatever I can to protect and encourage the wellness of all these amazing people who saved lots of lives this year. Yeah, totally. Um, so as we, as we wrap up, 
Mary Ellen, what are ways that um, uh, for the audience, and this will be recorded and uh, will, will shared on the podcast online, uh, what, what are ways that people can help? Um, how can people get involved to help with your department um, or with the broader effort as we keep moving forward? Yeah, that's, wow, that's a, a great question. Um, well, you know, I think um, supporting each other, you know, to continue to support each other to, um, you know, the the mayor and the board of supervisors are, are you know, moving forward a lot of initiatives um, to help businesses, especially in San Francisco, um, especially, you know, I would say, you know, support your arts, um, support your local restaurants. Um, I have become, I, I waited tables for a long time during my younger years and I've always been a good tipper, but man, am I a good tipper now, <laughs> you know, just be generous where you can be. Um, so that we can, you know, we can, we can get back and, and San Francisco can maybe be, and I don't think even maybe, I think for sure that San Francisco can be even better than it was before that, that, that this happened. Um, but it's going to take all of us, you know, and, um, be generous of spirit to each other and support each other and, and, and support local, I think is the biggest thing. And be prepared, right? <laughs> um, and uh, be prepared for that earthquake. And I, I maybe that should be my last uh, parting words: is you know, sign up for SF Alert. Remember that in spite of what we've been through, it doesn't. Ne it's not. There's no given pass that we're not going to have other things happen here. And um, and so we're going to have to dig deep if that does happen and look out for each other. But I think we can get through anything at this point. Great. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, yeah, I think one of the, definitely one of the things I think we, I felt, and I think a lot of people felt over the last year is we're all part of a community and a symbiotic ecosystem of restaurants and arts and businesses. And um, I think we saw the absence of that and how it affected our culture. And I think, um, I know I myself also like, yeah, was, was tipping more and donating to our restaurants. And uh, I'm I'm optimistic as well, given what you said, uh, that we'll bounce back, and um, the people who've stayed will. Uh, we if you stay during such tumultuous times, you must really like the city. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, we kind of like self-selected for the folks who are, um, for, who are left, uh, and uh, I'm excited to see who comes back as well. But uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm excited for what happens as we as we come back. But thanks a lot, Mary Ellen. I uh, really appreciate your time. And uh, uh, for those uh, who are waiting, the next show will actually be on uh, actually the, to the topic of small business and restaurants. How can we make it easier for restaurants and small businesses to bounce back as we reopen? Um, and related to that, we also have uh, an initiative around shared spaces to make shared spaces permanent. If you go to growsf.com's um, uh, website, you'll be able to uh, actually uh, kind of see how you can sign a petition to open up those restaurants uh, and keep their outdoor spaces open. Uh, but yeah, and uh, Joel, any last words as well? Yeah, I just wanted to make a note that uh, history teaches us that after the 1918 pandemic, we had the roaring 20s. So here we go. Mm -hmm. Get ready, the 21st uh, century version. We're going to roar. That's, that's not good news for not the other side of my house, 911, but we'll, we'll be ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks, Mary Ellen. Okay. Take care.